and turn to Mark chapter number 5. Mark chapter number 5 is where we'll be at today. And for some time we've been in a series that I've titled Refocus, and our desire, our goal from this is to uh, see Jesus more clearly, to strip away all of the religious trappings and all of our uh, prejudices and all of our uh, ideas of who Jesus is, and just see Jesus for who he is presented in the New Testament and in the Gospels. We are taking and looking at uh, the things that he did, the things that he taught, uh, the way that he went about interacting with people while he was on this earth, and we are getting a clearer view of who Jesus is. Uh, last week, what we were looking at was whenever the disciples and Jesus crossed through the, the Sea of Galilee, they came to land uh, in the region of the Gadarenes, and they were met by a man who was possessed of devils and wore no clothes, all of those things. And in this, we saw an idea. We got a glimpse of the spiritual things that were in, at work in the world which we live in today. We see that Satan has a program. There is a way that he operates in this world, and he wants to uh, he wants to destroy everything that God has designed. He wants to corrupt everything that God has created. We see the way that he is trying to ruin men. He's trying to ruin their lives. He's trying to corrupt everything that they are doing, and uh, that has always been Satan's plan. That's always been his program. Uh, ever since the very beginning, whenever Adam and Eve lived in perfection. They had everything that man could ever want. There was no sickness, no pain, no disease, no aging, uh, nothing to hurt, nothing to defile, nothing to destroy. And Satan says, let me come in there and plant this seed of rebellion that's going to corrupt not just man, but all of creation. And he did that back then, and that has always been his game, and he is still seeking to corrupt this world that we're in today. And we look around, he's doing a pretty good job of it. Everything that God has designed for good, he means it for evil. But at the same time, all that he means for evil, God can use for good. So we saw Satan's program, but we also saw Jesus' power. And so he has great power. He is not, uh, he's not Satan's equal opposite. He is the one who first gave life to Satan as a perfect angel in heaven before there was fault found in him, before pride rose up in his heart. Okay? And so as a created being, Satan has no power over God. He has no power over Jesus. He can only do what Jesus allows him to do. And we look at the world and say, how could God allow these things to happen? God is big enough. He is powerful enough to work all of the evil in this world together for good. He is able to bring all of these things together according to his plan and all of these things that Satan means to corrupt and to destroy and to deceive, he will one day take care of all of those things. He will put Satan exactly where he belongs, and he is going to use all of these things for our ultimate good and for God's glory. The third thing that we found in that passage was that uh, the people there had a plea for Jesus. They wanted him to leave. They begged him to depart from their coast. And we find that going on in this world today. And that's one of the reasons why evil is running as rampant as it is in this world is because man has a desire for God to just leave them alone. Man is trying his best to erase God, to kick him out of every uh, area of this world. And honestly, whenever man does not want him, God doesn't stick around. God honors that. And so Jesus, whenever they begged him to leave their coast, he got on a boat and he left. 
And so for those who would ask and say, if God is so good and loving and kind, how does he allow these things to happen? Well, we've already kicked him out. We've already told him we don't want him. What do you expect is going to happen? But whenever he left, he didn't just leave them to their own devices. He also left people there to tell about him, to tell about his goodness, about what he has done. And so that healed man, that man who had been possessed by this legion of demons, was left behind to proclaim to all of those people in that region the great things that God had done for him. And that's what we're left here to do today, is to proclaim salvation to whosoever will in this world today. And so uh, we see this, this highlights very clearly for us what's going on. Satan's at work. God's more powerful. Man tries to get rid of him, but Jesus has left us here as witnesses. And one day he is coming and he is going to make all things right in the end. But until then, we are left to be witnesses. We are left to proclaim the good news of the gospel. So that brings us to where we're at today. We're going to, to, to skip ahead just a little bit because uh, a few weeks ago for Father's Day, we looked at the passage uh, relating to uh, Jairus and his uh, daughter that passed away, and uh, we saw that uh, we saw that Jairus was a good father, and we saw that uh, we have a good father. But in the midst of that story, we find Jesus is going uh, to Jairus's house. He's going to heal this man's daughter, and he is delayed. There is a woman that has a need. And she is not willing to wait on that need. She wants Jesus to help her right then. And so she delays him. And that's what we find in Mark chapter number 5, uh, down at verse number 25. It says, And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may uh, touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned, it turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and behold thy plague. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once again. Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for all that you do for us. We thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you so much for your word, Lord, and for all these accounts in Scripture of your dealings with mankind that allows us to see your heart for us, see your desire for us. And Lord, I just pray, help us, Lord, to, to refocus, to see you more clearly. Help us, Lord, to uh, just fall in love with you and desire to, to please you and to live for you. I just pray that if there's one here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would see themselves as sinful, that they would uh, give up on trying through all these other methods in the world today of trying to uh, pay for their own sin and that they would accept the price that you had paid for them. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do and all you're going to do. Help me as I preach, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as Jesus was making his way to Jairus' house, 
uh, said he was already slowed down because of all of the crowd that was around him. Could you imagine as Jesus was going, he had healed all these people. He was going about teaching. There were people who were curious. There were people who were actually dedicated and devoted following him. There were people who were enemies of his that were just trying to find ways to trip him up. And out of all of these different people, they were thronging around him. They were trying to get close to him to where he couldn't even move. He couldn't go from one place to another without constantly having people around. And that, for me, is terrifying. Because I, I don't like crowds. I don't like being surrounded by people, okay? But Jesus was constantly being thronged by people. And as he was going, this would have caused it to already be slow enough. And I can imagine Jairus was probably upset because he was in a hurry, right? And it seems like any time you're in a hurry, there's always someone slow gets in front of you, right? I might hit too close to home for some people. Every time you're trying to go somewhere, someone slows you down. And so as they are going... Uh, this woman, I don't believe that she intended to delay Jesus. She says, if I come up behind him, I can come in and just sneak in behind him, and I just have to touch his clothes. No one needs to know about it. He doesn't even have to know about it. I'll be healed. I'll let them go on their way, and no one will be the wiser. I'll get the healing I want, and I won't disrupt anything. But as soon as she touched his garment... He knew that she had touched it. He sensed her presence. He sensed that uh, that he had healed her, that the virtue had gone out of him, it says. And he stops. And this would have been much to Jairus' dismay. And also, it probably would have scared this woman. It would have surprised this woman because she didn't intend for this to happen. And so she had been healed. And now Jesus stops. He turns around and says, who touched me? What is it that he has to say? How is he going to respond to her little uh, incognito approach to him? What's he going to say to her? And so she tells everyone what happened, and then she receives reassurance from Jesus and is sent away, and Jesus continues on his journey to another needy soul. And so that's what happens in our passage here. But I really admire this woman. I know some of the things that I said may, may not make it sound that way as I'm talking about her coming in sneaking and stealthily. But I admire this woman because she is a good example to us as well as an illustration of how Jesus reacts to people who need him. And so I want to take a closer look at her story today. And this will probably be nothing, uh, nothing new to you, nothing groundbreaking or earth-shattering. But hopefully it will be an encouragement. Hopefully it will be a reassurance to you. But the first thing that I see in this woman is simply that she had issues. She had issues. It says specifically she had an issue of blood. And most people believe that this would have been uh, like menstrual bleeding that hadn't stopped for 12 years. That would have been pretty uh, pretty hard to deal with, honestly. I've never had to deal with it. don't plan to. But anyway, this would have been something hard for her to deal with. And it would have caused her to be ceremonially unclean. She wouldn't be able to go and worship at the temple. She wouldn't be able to have close contact with any of those that loved her because she would contaminate them. She would cause them to be ceremonially unclean. And so this is going to cause her to be isolated. It's going to cause her to be shunned. It's going to be causing her to be pushed away from everyone that's around her. And she had put up with this for 12 years. 
It says that she's done everything that was humanly possible. She had bankrupted herself going to doctors, going to anyone and everyone who could possibly give her some sort of relief or at least cause this to ease for a bit. But no one was able to help her. And the Bible says that instead her problem grew worse. And so day by day, year by year, she became less and less hopeful. She was losing any kind of, of help, hope whatsoever that this was going to come to an end. She had accepted this is my lot in life. And in this passage, in her situation, we can see a very clear parallel between her and salvation. Because every man, every woman, every boy, every girl born on the face of this earth has an issue, has a condition known as sin. Bible says that we are born into sin, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so we have a problem, and we do our very best to try to fix this problem. We do our very best. Man has devised all sorts of religions. They have tried to come up with all different avenues of trying to make themselves right in the sight of God. They have tried to, to convince themselves that through their good works and through their efforts, through their religious activities, through all these ceremonies and all these different methods that they have concocted, that somehow that is going to take care of this problem that they have. And then there are others that rather than trying to come up with a way of getting rid of the problem, they try to deny that it ever even exists to begin with. And they try to cover it up. They try to uh, put it out of sight. They try to pretend that it doesn't exist. But at the end of the day, every single one of us has an issue that cannot be healed, that cannot be cleansed, that cannot be fixed by human efforts or human means. And that's where this woman was. And so that is a, a clear parallel for us. But I believe it goes further than that because uh, anyone in here that's saved knows that just because you get saved, just because your salvation is taken care of, your eternal soul is fixed, you still have issues. We don't like to admit it. We like to pretend that we don't, but we still have issues. And if you believe that you don't, just ask your friends, just ask your neighbor, just ask your spouse. They will tell you what your issues are, right? But remember, I said ask. Don't tell them unless they ask. Okay? And so we all have issues. All of our issues aren't going. We still struggle. We still stumble. Uh, John tells us that if we say that we have no sin, we lie and we deceive ourselves. And so we still struggle. We still stumble even after we are saved. And there's little that we can do. We are pretty powerless in and of ourselves. And we like to think that we have things in control. We think we like to think that we have power and that we have ability. But if you honestly will sit back and look at things, and I'm not trying to make you seem feel hopeless here or discouraged this morning, but if you step back and look at things, there is very little that we have control over. One decision made by another person, maybe someone that you don't even know, can upend your entire life. One person can do one stupid thing, and it can forever change your life. Or you can do something that forever changes someone else's life. Uh, I, I know I've had many conversations just as my girls are getting older and whatnot on the importance of who they allow to influence their lives and ultimately who they end up marrying because that's going to have a profound influence on their life, right? And you get together with someone, you come together with someone and you think, oh, this is going to be wonderful. They're such a great person. We love each other. And five years down the road, they make a decision and all of it goes down the rubbish, Right? And so what I'm trying to say here is we have issues. There are so many things that we have no control over. You may walk into work tomorrow and your boss says, we no longer need you. You have no control over that. 
And so we have issues in this life, just like this woman. And a lot of times we are willfully ignorant of our issues. We like to pretend that we have it under control. We like to pretend that we know what's going on, that all of our plans that we have laid out so neatly. You want to have like a 10-year plan? I never, I never have because none of the things I've ever planned have actually come about. Okay? But we like to think that the way that we have our lives laid out in our mind, the script that we've written for ourselves, this is what's going to happen. And very rarely does that ever happen because we don't have control. There is little that we can do about it. We grossly overestimate our ability to manage and to fix our issues. And so whenever we look at this woman, the thing that we admire about her is that whenever she realized that she had the issue, she didn't try to hide it. She didn't try to cover it up. But anyway, she was seeking to get her issue dealt with, to get it taken care of. And then we find that she knew she needed Jesus, okay? And if you don't get anything else from this this morning, other than this, you need Jesus, right? And she knew she needed Jesus. Someone told her about Jesus. We don't know what it was. We don't know who it was. But more than likely, it was someone who had received a healing from Jesus. More than likely, someone, maybe maybe the blind man that now seen, maybe the crippled man who now walked, maybe someone who Jesus had rose from the dead, we don't know, but came across this woman in her condition and said, you know, Jesus is able to take care of you. Jesus is able to provide for you. He's able to meet this need that you have in your life. If you can just get to Jesus, Jesus can take care of it. And so we don't have a whole lot of uh, the rest of the story about this, but with this new information that sprung up in her life, she said there is hope. There is someone that can fix this that no one else has been able to fix. There's someone who can help me with this issue that I can't do anything about myself. I need Jesus. And as she comes to him, it doesn't seem like this is just another fruitless effort. This isn't just, okay, I'm going to try this and hope it sticks, like with all the other physicians before. But instead, she is saying within herself, if I might just touch his clothes, I shall be healed. She says, I know that he can do it. She was convinced that he had what she needed. And so in our lives, we can't save ourselves. We can't do enough good works. We can't do enough religious activities. We can't balance things out. This is the idea of society, isn't it? If my good works outweigh my bad works, somehow God lets me in. And so every time I sin, I've got to do something to make up for it, tit for tat, right? But it doesn't work that way. I mean, it's foolish if you if you look at it any deeper than that to think that somehow we can outweigh our bad works with our good works. You have someone who goes out and, and robs the one of the shops in town. You just say, well, I helped an old lady across the street and I baked cookies for my grandma. Does that not balance out the fact that I stole some money from the shop? No, your good works don't outweigh your bad works. There is a penalty that must be paid. There is justice that must be met. And so we need Jesus. And for all of us saved here today, we are glad that Jesus was able to handle our issues. We are glad that he took care of us, that our sins are forgiven. The Bible says that they are cast away as far as the east is from the west, that they are in the depths of the sea, there to be remembered no more. And so our sins have been taken care of. He says that we are sealed until the day of the redemption of the purchased possession. In other words, we are taken care of. We are uh, just as sure at the moment of salvation that heaven is going to be our home as if we were already there because it wasn't dependent on us. It was dependent on Jesus. 
And so Jesus is able to take care of our issues. We need him. Our sins are forgiven. Heaven is our home. But just as you need Jesus to get to heaven, you need Jesus just to go to the grocery store. You need Jesus to be a husband, to be a wife, to try to parent children, to try to live in this day and hour which we are in because there are all kinds of things around us and we need his strength, we need his spirit, we need his wisdom, we need his guidance, we need his help. And so for us to ignorantly think that just because we are saved, we're good to go, we no longer need Jesus, we have lost the plot. What we need to realize is that we need him just as much today as we did the day that we were saved. We need him just as much today as we do tomorrow and the next day. We need him in our lives. We need to be near him. It's not a once and done. Yes, salvation is taken care of, but he desires so much more than that. He doesn't just save us for us to set until he comes back for us. He saves us so that we can be a light and be a witness in this world. He saves us so that he can cleanse us, so that he can renew us, so that he can cause us to be salt and light in this world, so that we can be a testimony to those who need to know him. And so we need Jesus. We still have issues. The third thing that we find out about this lady, she had issues. She needed Jesus, but she reached out to Jesus. That's simple enough, isn't it? She reached out to him. Her belief wouldn't have done much if she would have just sat at home on the couch. Does that make sense to everyone? If someone would have said, Jesus can heal you, look at what he did for me, and said, oh yeah, I believe that he could heal me. And then that was it. She just sat there. What good that would that have done her? Would she have ever received healing? I figure there were probably many people who heard of Jesus' miracles. There were many people who probably thought, yeah, I'd say he can do that. I think that he could probably help me. And then they went on and forgot about it. Never received anything. Never came to Jesus. Never had salvation. Never had their issues dealt with. But they probably believed in their mind that, yeah, Jesus could do something about it. Even on the day that this woman came to Jesus, whenever Jesus says, who touched me, the disciples were somewhat incredulous at this moment. And they said, how can you say who touched you? Everybody touched you. But only this woman got healing. Y'all realize that? What was the difference? She came to him for healing, believing that he could heal her, right? All the rest of the people that were touching him were not coming in faith, desiring healing. They were just around. And the reason I bring all of this out is for us, we can hear the gospel. We can hear that we're sinners. We can acknowledge that we're sinners. We can hear that Jesus will save us. But until we act on that faith, it does us no good. There are people all around this world that have spent plenty of time in churches, plenty of religious. There are people who have Bibles and will carry them under their arm. They will speak the name of Jesus. But unless they have personally came to Christ for salvation of their eternal soul, it does them no good. It's not the moment that says, oh, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. That's not what saves them. Even if they say, I know I'm a sinner, I know Jesus can do something about it. That's not what saves them. But it's that moment that they realize, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus, he can heal me, and they reach out to him in faith, 
and accept Him as their Lord and Savior. That is the moment they are born again. That is the moment their sins are forgiven. That is the moment that their eternity is changed from death unto life. And so it takes them making a decision, taking an action. I'm not talking about works. I'm not saying that they are working for their salvation. But she did something just as simple as by faith, reaching out and taking the hem of his garment. The Bible tells us, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I know I'm a sinner. I know I have a need and Jesus can meet it. And now I'm going to call out to him and receive it. I'm going to reach out and take the hem of his garment. He will forgive my sins. He will save my soul. My eternity is going to be changed from death unto life. And so this is what she has done. And I will say, I'm, I'm relating this both to those who are unsaved and those who are saved. That for us as Christians as well, we are not going to receive the help that we need until we're willing to go to him and ask for it. We're not going to receive that assistance as long as we're trying to do it ourselves. We might have the knowledge and say, oh yeah, God can take care of my situation, but I'm not going to go to him for the help that I need. We still need to reach out. We know that he can, but if we're unwilling to admit our need, if we're unwilling to come to him as a needy person, as someone in in trouble, as someone with issues, as someone who needs his help, if we're unwilling to reach out to him, we are going to uh, miss out on the blessings and the benefits of the relationship. He says, let us come to him boldly. But too often we say, no, nah, I've got this. I've got it under control. And we do like Peter whenever they were on the storm in the sea. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And wait until they get in over their head before they reach out to him, right? The old hymn says, What peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And I think that really relates to us here. And so this woman, as an example, she was willing to admit she had issues. She knew whenever she heard that Jesus could take care of them. She acted on it, reached out to him, and got the help that she needed. And so now I want to look at Jesus' response because this is us refocusing on Jesus, right? How did Jesus respond to her? Whenever we look at this, he asked, uh, who touched me, right? That would have been alarming to her. And I already brought out where the disciples uh, said, they're all thronging you. Why do you say, who touched me? Verse 32 says, and he looked round about uh, to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and behold thy plague. I said in the beginning that I believe this woman wasn't meaning to detain Jesus. She wasn't trying to, uh, to cause him to wait there. She just thought, I'm going to go up. I'm going to touch him. No one needs to know about it. I'll go on my way. He'll go on his way. And it's all done, right? But Jesus doesn't allow it to end there. Yes, he helped her. That's the first thing that he did, right? Her, As soon as she touched him, her issue of blood was dried up. It stopped immediately. He took care of that as soon as she reached out. And so for the person who is lost in their sin, the person who has never trusted Christ as their Savior, at the moment they reach out, he forgives them, he saves them, he heals them completely. Okay? At that very moment. But he wants to go even further than that. 
He doesn't, as I said, he doesn't want to just save us and that be it. He doesn't want to just save us and us slink off uh, away and hide until he comes back. And so salvation was immediate. As soon as she placed her faith in him alone as Savior, she is saved. As soon as we place our faith alone in him as Savior, we are saved. There's no waiting times. There's no probationary periods. But many of the issues that we face in this life may not be resolved so quickly. As we noticed in this passage I just read a moment ago, she still had issues. Did you all catch that? She still had issues. What was her issues? She was fearful. She was afraid, wasn't she? Yes, I've got healing. Yes, I know that my issue of blood is dried up, but she was still fearful. She was still uncertain. She was still doubting. And so God has a plan and a process. He's got something that he wants to do in our lives. And we can be sure if we are trusting him, if we are putting our issues in his hand, that he's going to help us through those issues. He's going to take care of it. And he's got it all worked out from the moment we put our trust in him with whatever it is. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time to see it come to pass. And this woman is going to take a little bit of time for these other issues to be worked out. But he helped her not just with salvation, but he also helped her with this new issue because if he would have just left her to go away into the shadows, if he would have not acknowledged what she had done, what would have happened in her life? If she was going away, what was going to happen? She's going to be constantly worried about what if it comes back? What if this was only temporary? If it really was a menstrual issue, what about the next month? Whenever it began again, what if it doesn't finish? And so there's going to be these fears that's constantly going to be coming around, these problems that she's going to constantly face. Not only that, but everyone around her knows her story. Everybody around her knows that she is unclean. Everybody around her knows that she has been defiled. And how are they going to get the word out that she has been cleansed? There are some issues here, right? And so he helped her, but he comforted her. He comforted her. The issue of blood was going, but the fears were there. And he wanted to make sure that she knew that she had nothing to fear. That it was permanent, that it was taken care of, that it wasn't coming back. She didn't need to hide. She didn't need to be afraid because he loved her. And what he had done for her was a great work. And it was one that was going to be permanent. It was going to stick with her. And so after she told everybody what happened... Imagine what an encouraging testimony that was. She's there saying, I've been fighting this for 12 years. No one was able to deliver me, but Jesus healed me immediately. Imagine what an effect that's going to have on the crowds around with their issues that need to be dealt with, right? And so Jesus isn't just wanting to heal her issue. He's not just wanting to heal your issue. There are so many other people that he is seeking to save. And whenever we... Tell others about the great things that God has done for us. It is showing them that he can heal them as well. But anyway, he comforted her. He tenderly called her daughter. Could you imagine that? She has been alienated from everyone. She thought that no one cared. No one loved her. She couldn't go to the temple. She believed in her heart. God thinks I'm unclean. God wants nothing to do with me. And Jesus reaches out and calls her daughter. She is accepted by him. She is beloved by him. And what great comfort, what great peace that was going to come about her. And so this problem wasn't coming back. And he tells her, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. 
That was probably a new word for her. I think after 12 years of all this, she had no peace for 12 years. He says, you're healed. It's not coming back. You're accepted. You're loved. You're mine. Go and just enjoy being mine. Go in peace, knowing that God has taken care of you, that God has healed you, that you are accepted by him. Imagine what comfort that would have been. And so for me, I am thankful for all the assurances in the scriptures that my salvation is taken care of. I think one of the the worst assaults that Satan has on the hearts and the minds of God's people is trying to convince them that either they're not saved or that somehow they have lost their salvation. And the reason I say that, and that might be controversial for some, but the reason I say this is because if my salvation rests in my actions and my activities, then I was saved by my works, and I'm not saved by works. I'm saved by the work that he has done. I can rest in him. If I am made to think that either I'm not saved or somehow I sin so badly that God took my salvation from me, I'm going to be so miserable, I'm going to be so defeated that I'm constantly checking myself, trying to figure out if I am saved, constantly wondering if my problem is going to come back, if my issue is going to return, that I am never going to have peace. I'm never going to feel as if I'm his. I'm never going to feel valued. I'm never going to feel treasured. And I am going to be so wrapped up in my own condition and in my continuing issue that I cannot proclaim God's goodness, his love, and his deliverance to anybody else. So he gives her assurance. And I am thankful for the assurance that I have that my salvation is permanent, that I am loved, that I'm accepted, that I'm part of his family. I have all these assurances that he desires for me to have peace. And as long as I stay near him, as long as my affection and my eyes are on him, I will have that peace. If I start getting distracted, if I start drifting away, start pulling away, that peace will leave me. But as soon as I come back and take hold of him, I have the peace of God. The last thing that we find in this woman, in Jesus' actions toward her, is that he transformed her life. God doesn't save us, as I said from the beginning, God doesn't save us to leave us where he found us. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, I make all things new. He desires to cleanse us. He desires to purify our hearts and our minds. He desires to put us on a new direction, on a new path, and give us a new purpose. And that's only going to happen if we come to him, if we submit to him. If we look at this woman's life, she has spent 12 years alienated, isolated, defeated, discouraged, without hope. And now she is leaving with this problem fixed eternally, with her hope solid and firm in Christ, with peace that passes understanding. Can you imagine how much her life changed? Whenever she was able to go home and to her family, to her children if she had them, her husband if she had them, to her parents if they were there, when she was able to go into the temple for the first time and say, I'm no longer unclean, I have been healed. Could you imagine the fellowship that she had, the joy that she had, the ability that she had to go out and be amongst these people and say, my life has been forever changed. It has been forever transformed because of Jesus. He wants to transform our lives as well. 
He wants to change our lives as well. And that is only going to happen if we will be honest with ourselves and say, I have issues. I can't fix them. I need him. I'm going to go to him. I'm going to trust him to fix my issues. And while I have a hold of him, while I am walking with him, while I am yoked up to him, he is going to accept me. He's going to comfort me. He's going to heal me. He's going to transform me in this world now. And whenever I am done here, he is going to take me to a place that he has prepared for me, that where he is, there I may be also. That's encouraging, isn't it? That's what he wants to do for each and every one of us. And if we get so hung up on our issues, if we keep trying to solve them down here, if we keep our eyes off of Jesus and refuse to go to him, refuse to walk with him, we are going to be in a mess. If you've never trusted him as your savior, if you're still convincing yourself, well, I'm a pretty good person. If you're still trying to convince yourself that because of your religiosity, because your name is on a church roll somewhere, because you have uh, said this prayer or done this deed or whatever, if you are trusting in any of those things besides Jesus shed blood on Calvary to forgive your sins and save your soul, it's not going to work. You have an issue you can't fix. You need Jesus. But Jesus has already told us that whoever comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. He has already told us that if we will believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that he has bled and died for us, that his payment is sufficient for our sins, if we are willing to accept that and place our faith and trust in him alone, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will forgive us of all of our sins. He will save us. He will put us into his family. We will be children of God. We will be heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Heaven will be secure. And one day he is going to come for us. And if you have done that, say, well, I'm saved. Heaven's my home. Jesus is my Lord. I know this whole Christian life. I'm going to just go ahead and I'm going to just walk through this life humdrum, lukewarm. I'm not... I don't need him for much anymore because I'm saved, but you need him for everything. He has so much bigger plans. He has so much greater things that he wants to do for you. You need him each and every day of your life. If you're wise, you'll get up each and every day and you'll get down on your knees and you will say, God, I need you today. Help me in this day. Help me to walk with you. Help me to live by your word. Help me to follow your truths in this day and in this hour, and use me for your glory. Transform me into your image. He will do it. We need him every day. So that's my challenge for you today. We all have issues. Don't pretend you don't. We all need Jesus. And if you're not saved here today, all you must do is in faith, reach out to him in prayer and ask him to save your soul, and he will do it. And if you have done that, don't fall for Satan's lies that you no longer need him. That you can do it on your own every day reach out to him. Every day continue to follow him. Every day continue to seek him and allow him to do the work in your life, give you that peace and transform your life as only he can. That's my challenge for you today. Let's go Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. We thank you so much for the, the testimony of this woman and the way that you worked in her life. And Lord, I thank you that uh, though I'm a sinner, though I've failed you so many times, there's nothing that I can do to ever repay. There's no way that I can ever pay for my debt. But I thank you, Lord, 
that you bled and died on Calvary to give me eternal life, Lord. I thank you that someone came and told me about that, and Lord, that I reached out and accepted it. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that don't know you as their Savior, they haven't had their sins taken care of, they don't know that heaven's going to be their home, I pray that even now that they would call out to you and they would they would confess their sins and they would ask you to forgive their sins and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. And Lord, for the Christians in here that may be struggling, may still be trying to wrestle with their issues on their own, I pray that they would see their need for you, that they would reach out to you, that they would walk in you and allow you to do the work that only you can do. Help us, Lord, to be a light. Help us to be a witness. Guide us. Be with our fellowship here today. And we thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.